the Lord had said to Abram, go from, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions he had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram's traveled through the lands as far as the, as far as the side of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Abram then set out and continued towards the Negev. So our second reading will come from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and you can find that on page 1549. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taking up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and said, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the dates, the times or the dates the Father has set out by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, who was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into the heavens, will come back in the very same way you've seen him go into heaven. Thanks, Josh. Welcome again, everyone. If you can keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, uh, we're going to try and follow closely the verses there. Uh, let me pray. Uh, get ourselves ready to hear what God's got to say to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are amongst us, that you live in us. And Father, you are working so powerfully and mightily through your spirit, uh, so that we might be able to understand your words today and that uh, we might be able to move the way that you want us to move. 
Uh, we pray that you would tug at our hearts and, Father, our minds too, such that we might take action and give glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we discovered last week that we are witnesses of Jesus. Uh, who are we? We are witnesses, so we have to live out who we are if we believe in him. What is it that God would have us do with our lives? It is to bear witness to Jesus, to spread the news of Jesus. I, I wonder how you felt when you heard that from last week, or perhaps even when you heard that just then. How do you feel about the fact that we are witnesses together of Jesus? Uh, I wonder how ready you feel. If I told you next week what we're going to do is we're going to take the whole of 7 p.m. church, it's going to be a team, and we're going to head off into the universities right during that next week, and what we're going to do is we're going to spread the news of Jesus. How would you feel about that? Uh, we'd, have to, we'd have to organize a few things, we'd hit prayer, we'd get on our knees and we'd start praying, we'd organize and work out exactly what we would say and where we would go and how we might answer questions that people might have for us. Uh, and then we've got to work out, where, uh, eventually, when people start becoming Christians, what do we do? How do we give them a really warm welcome? How do we help them to take that very first steps uh, as a Christian? How do we help them to mature with the Bible open, to train them to serve and to take their place uh, in the church of Christ? How would you feel? How would you feel if we did that next week? Do you feel you would be ready? I can't help but wonder how the first disciples felt about their monumental task of spreading the news. What we're going to do is we're going to zone in on Jesus' instructions to them, and then we'll be in a good position to see where we fit in and how it'll help us with spreading the news ourselves. So verse 1 of our passage in Acts chapter 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, what a great name, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke's gospel begins with the same recipient in mind, that is Theophilus, and ends the way that Acts describes. So Acts is actually the second volume to Luke. And so Acts is this undertaking to draw up an orderly account of what the apostles did and what the disciples did, much like how he wrote what Jesus did in Luke's Gospel. Just consider what has happened in the chapters of Luke's Gospel because it's, it forms the context for our passage today and it helps us to get in the frame of mind of the disciples before we move on. The disciples, they have gone through some roller coaster of events as they follow Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that steady incline of that roller coaster carriage going up and being able to see who Jesus is and his amazing authority? Authority to be able to call people to himself. Authority to be able to speak against evil spirits. Authority to be even be able to raise people from the dead. What, what a great peak that was. But then eventually that cart hurdles downwards to the lowest point of history where we see Jesus crucified. And not only that, we see Jesus die, but we see the apostles, the disciples, everyone was fleeing left, right, and center from Jesus. They were in abject failure of trusting and following Jesus. It was the lowest part of history. But that's okay because the cut starts going up and we get to see the pinnacle of history, 
the highest of highest, that is Jesus resurrected from the dead. How awesome is it that we get to celebrate the resurrected Jesus on Easter Sunday last week? It's amazing. Now the disciples, they're on that peak at the moment, and they're looking at the track ahead of them, right? And what do they see? They still see some ups and downs. They see these, these twists and turns and a point where they're probably going to be inverted as well. It is not a straight path for them. There is still much to come. The disciples had much to process. All that Jesus did and taught. Jesus left his chosen apostles with, verse 2, uh, instructions through the Holy Spirit. That word apostles just means sent ones, that is, disciples who are sent by Jesus. I take it that it was the Spirit who enabled them to take in his words. Because when Jesus gave his, 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 uh, his instructions to his apostles back in Luke 24, he's the one that says he opened their minds so they would understand the scriptures. I take it that the Holy Spirit is that who opens up their minds so they can take in what Jesus says. What are they supposed to take in? Well, they were supposed to take in that repentance and forgiveness of sins was going to be preached to all nations. And who was going to do it? Who was going to do this preaching to all nations? Well, it was the very disciples themselves because they are witnesses of these events. Okay, that's a, that's a bit of a recap of Luke's former book, the Gospel of Luke. So that gets us in the frame of mind of the apostles before moving on. So back in Acts chapter 1, the event that Luke wants to focus on in particular, out of all that Jesus did and taught, is his resurrection. So verse 3 it says, After his suffering, that is Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It is that reality of Jesus rising from the dead that convinces them to follow Jesus and it convinces us to follow Jesus today. So what are some of these convincing proofs that we saw back in Luke's gospel? Well, remember the empty tomb and how it was witnessed by uh, men and women. Remember the strips of linen that were left behind in the tomb because there was no body there to be found, no body of Jesus to be found, only what was left behind uh, that, of the things that was wrapping him. How about Jesus' appearance to some disciples on the way to Emmaus? I thought that was a, that was a brilliant episode. How ironic was that? that these people wanted to tell Jesus exactly what Jesus himself had done uh, on the weeks, on the days beforehand. There was Cleopas. You know, I finally gets it. That is, it's Jesus. He runs back to, Jerus to Jerusalem to go tell the 11 disciples. Remember that? Jesus also appeared to the 11 disciples themselves, almost startling them to death. He let them touch him to see his marks on his hands and his feet and his side. He ate broiled fish in front of them to show them that he was no figment of their imagination. He was no ghost. Remember that. Proof that was so convincing it left an incredible impact on people then and it leaves an incredible impact on us now. His resurrection wasn't just a miracle to marvel at. It was accompanied by the message about God's kingdom. The point of it all was to establish the kingdom that Jesus would rule and to bring people to it, to join it. People weren't supposed to 
look and marvel at the resurrection of Jesus and, and clap and say, oh, good show, Jesus. Good show. What's your next trick? Can you show us a little bit more about what you can do? Now, the response is not to clap as if it was some show that God was doing for you and for them. The response, the appropriate response is to repent. That is to stop turning our backs on God, to turn to God instead in repentance and to believe in him such that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be included in his kingdom. I remember when I, was a, I wasn't a Christian in my, my early teens and I was trying to work out who this Jesus was and I was trying to work out, of all things, whether or not the resurrection of Jesus is credible. It, people then were asking about proofs of Jesus' resurrection. People are still asking about it today. And I remember reading this book and I wonder whether you've maybe come across it. It's a bit of a classic. Uh, it's a, a book by Josh McDowell and it's called More Than a Carpenter. Anyone? Anyone read More Than a Carpenter? Every gathering that I've spoke at today, there have been people who've read More Than a Carpenter. I, I was so impressed by the book because uh, it, it really helped give us a little bit of a, an understanding of the, of the logic and the reliability of the scriptures and the accounts. I, I was so impressed that what I did was I picked up another book of his and it was, it was called The Resurrection Factor. The Resurrection Factor having a look exactly about what the Bible says about the proofs of the resurrection. And it was just so great. I wanted to see the proofs. Well, lo and behold, God kind of knew that we would ask for proofs. He's written it down, even in the, in, the, in the books, in the pages of Luke. I commend that to you, Josh McDowell, The Resurrection Factor. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't just send the apostles off straight away to spread the news? Like, I kind of figured that, you know, you kind of ride the adrenaline, you know, you work out the momentum and, you know, just before the disciples work out, you know, have, actually have a thought and have a reconsider, you send them out into the nations, right? But no, he doesn't send them out straight away. What he does is he says, wait, to wait. Wait for the gift the Father would provide. So verse 4, it says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I kind of wonder how much the apostles grasped their need of God's gift of his Holy Spirit. How crucial was it for them to have the Spirit before starting to spread the news to foreign nations and foreign people. Well, to work out the impact that the Spirit will have, we kind of need to look up Luke's reference. He references uh, Luke chapter 3, and it describes what John the baptizer says about what Jesus would do. So it's printed in your leaflets, Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and it says, He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, what's all that about? Well, baptism involves washing someone in water, and it's a visual sign pointing to a greater significance, a greater reality. Here, John the baptizer, well, as he was washing people in water, what he was doing was pointing people forward to what Jesus would do. 
and the baptism that Jesus would give. See, Jesus would wash with the Spirit and fire. It's an interesting juxtaposition of words. Washing with fire. Well, both water and fire have something in common. What they do is that they purify, that they clean up. The chaff is burned up to purify the wheat, to clean up the wheat. I take it then that this is about Jesus giving the Holy Spirit who will purify those in whom he resides. It's not a new idea. I I didn't just make it up. I had a look in Ezekiel 36, and I found it there. So in your leaflets again, Ezekiel 36, verse 27 to 29. It says, And I will put my spirit in you, God says, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. The Spirit will turn us away from sin and uncleanness and move us to follow Jesus and his laws. No wonder, but by the time we get to verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, we get to see how Luke describes receiving the Holy Spirit as receiving power. Now you survey the rest of the chapters of the book of Acts and we certainly get to see powerful acts that the Spirit did through the disciples. But we can't forget, we can't forget the powerful act it is to move people and their hearts from within. It's one thing to do something exterior. It's another thing altogether to be able to move someone from within. That requires... A powerful act indeed. The disciples have this expansive job to spread the news of Jesus, to be his witnesses of his actions and teaching. And they've seen their master and how they, uh, he was treated. And they must assume they'll face the same threats. What is it that will move his disciples to go? I think it's the Holy Spirit who will move them to follow Jesus' command to go. He will turn them away from uncleanness and sin and instead to live and to act for the pleasure of God. Okay, where are we up to in Acts chapter 1? We've recapped what the apostles witnessed, and in particular Jesus' resurrection. They've been instructed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So naturally, what must they be doing? They must be preparing with prayer they must be preparing themselves to receive the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the first thing that was going through their minds. Have a look. Unfortunately, in verse 6, what do they say? Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they're still thinking that the kingdom of God is an earthly one, much like how the nations have kingdoms. As if God was going to oust the Romans, fix their problem with the, with the Romans, reinstall an Israelite king like in the past, and they were going to be the superpower of the known world. They just didn't get it. Jesus redirects their attention in verse 7. He said, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Those details that they want, that they've been asking for for a few chapters now at the end of Luke and now in the first chapter of Acts, 
Those details are for the Father himself. The reality is that God has installed his Son as king over all authorities. But he's not going to be like an earthly ruler. He won't be like an earthly king, merely ruling a kingdom with earthly borders. They need the Spirit to help them get it. We now come to a key verse which sets up the rest of the book of Acts. And you find it in verse 8. It says, But you, the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The apostles are to bear witness to Jesus what he saw him do, what they heard him say, how is it that Jesus has impacted them, what God has promised them, and that they do so with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they will start in Jerusalem and then radiate and move outwards from there into Judea and Samaria, and then not to stop in Judea and Samaria, they're to keep going out to the ends of the earth. It marks a real change in the way God wants people to be included in his kingdom. Like you look at the Old Testament and the way that it was done then was that people would come to Israel. People would come to Jerusalem, right? From all corners of the earth, they would come and you'd have to be an Israelite in order to benefit from the promises that God had for his people. There's a change now. The change is not to just draw people in but to send people out. And so God's people today, his Christians, they are to go out to the ends of the earth. Uh, I remember uh, visiting our uh, midweek men's group uh, on just last week, actually. And uh, I was just joking with them. I said, I wonder, I wonder if you kind of drew and measured the, the furthest distance from Jerusalem, where, where would you hit? And I was thinking, it's got to be somewhere in Australia, right? And, and someone, someone puts up their hand and goes, oh, I know where. The furthest, the furthest place from Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. What is that? It's called World's End. Have you heard of that? It's actually in South Australia, right? Go figure. World's End is in South Australia. Gee, I was right. It's a bit of trivia for you. Did you know that there's a Jerusalem in South Australia as well? So South Australia has a Jerusalem as well as the ends of the earth. It didn't have to go very far. How about that? Isn't it heartening? that the gospel has reached all the way to Adelaide. Isn't it just heartening that the disciples didn't just stop at Jerusalem? They didn't stop at Judea and Samaria. They continued going on and on and gave the task to the next disciples such that they, they went on and on to the point where they reached Adelaide. How good is that? For a bit of a laugh, I, I actually put down um, in Google Maps... You know how in Google Maps you can, you can type in a location? So I typed in Jerusalem. No, 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 not the South Australian one. Jerusalem, you know, you know the real in Israel, right? Typed in Jerusalem and it worked out how do we get there? How long was it going to take? And then it just crashed. <laughs> uh, it was thinking, thinking, and then bang. It just went, error. <laughs> you know why? Because the setting was on car. Uh, it was trying to work out how to get to Jerusalem from here by car. And it just got stuck at the top of Australia. Our, um, our network pastor, Paul, was at the friendship service this past week. And he was just talking about how the last weekend, there were three new churches in the Trinity network 
that managed to celebrate Easter for the very first time. How marvelous is that? That we get to go into the suburbs, not just stay in the city, we get to go into the suburbs to make the gospel available to people wherever they are. And the marvelous thing was, not, not that we, just, we, had a, we had an Easter service there, the marvelous thing was that they everywhere, each and every one of those services, there were visitors. Trinity Mile End, Trinity Campbelltown, Trinity Tonsley. How marvelous is it that the gospel did not just stop at the borders of Jerusalem, it has reached even our shores. Brilliant. I chose our Old Testament Bible reading in Genesis 12 <clears throat> just to point out that God's plan was always to include people from the ends of the earth. You know, it wasn't as if uh, God thought after Jesus rose, I know what we'll do. What we'll do is we'll go to the ends of the earth, right? We'll, we'll, start, we'll start sending people out to go, and, uh, to go and reach and bless people in the nations. It wasn't a new idea. We found the idea all the way back in Genesis 12. You see, there, all the peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham and the people of Israel. They were to be a light. Israel was to be a light that shined so that people would see it from all corners of the earth and be drawn to God and be drawn to see how good God's people had it and turn to him. Unfortunately, Israel failed. They failed. They failed because they stopped trusting in God and instead they went to false gods instead. They went to idols instead. Every single Israelite failed except for one. There was one Israelite, one true Israelite who ends up being the light of the world and that is Jesus. And he's the one who sends his disciples and his apostles and says, you take my light and you bring it out. Isn't that amazing? We come back to Acts. The remaining verses tell us what became of Jesus after he prepped his disciples to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So we pick it up at verse 9, and he said, After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go, into heaven. I don't know about you, but isn't that amazing? Could you imagine being there and watching the Lord Jesus, our Savior and Master, rising and ascending into the clouds? Like, I think I would have still been looking up in the clouds, right? I just, I just think it's really funny how, you know, there were, there were two men dressed in white, right? In the same way, there were two men glowing in white, where? At the tomb of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus. And here, there's, there's no like shock, horror, fall to the ground, terror, surprise. It's almost as if it's like, oh yeah, it kind of happens a lot around here. 
You know, two people dressed in white. Ah, angels. Oh, yeah, people kind of rising from the dead. Yeah, that's kind of normal around here. (laughs) Thankfully, thankfully, they say, Jesus has returned to heaven where his father is. He's not stuck in a cloud in the sky. He will come back. You can stop looking up into the sky now. (laughs) Jesus may have gone, but he doesn't abandon his disciples because he sends his spirit to accompany them permanently. So the rest of the book of Acts records how the apostles got on with their job with the spirit in mind. They and many others received the gift of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. It was an amazing account. If you haven't read it, you should go read it. The Holy Spirit scrubs their insides such that they are compelled to obey Jesus' commands. And they speak boldly. Boy, did they speak boldly. They faced threats courageously and even died entrusting their very lives to Jesus. And they begin in Jerusalem... And when they got persecuted, what happened was that they radiated out from Jerusalem and started going, exactly what Acts was saying, started going out to Judea and Samaria and beyond. Even once enemies became Christian, like the Apostle Paul. Friends, if you've not read Acts yet, uh, let me commend it to you. Go home. It's a brilliant read because you get to see what God does in his very, very... His, his amazing disciples uh, with a spirit inside. Go, go and read it. It's going to be great. Now, the events of Acts were unique. Like, no doubt about it. And those first disciples were in a unique time and place with a unique relationship with Jesus. So what can we as disciples today then glean from this chapter for ourselves? I mean, we do have significant things in common with them. That is, we too follow Jesus and we too have the Holy Spirit residing in us for everyone who follows Jesus who trusts in him receives the spirit what do we do here today well just to show that it wasn't just something that applied to disciples then well here's an example in Philippians chapter 127 it's in your leaflets and this is Paul the apostle you know the Paul who used to be an enemy became a Christian speaking to the church in a town called Philippi And here's what he says. He says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So God tells us there that his charge for his people to spread the news extends to us today too. We are to work together to spread the news. We are to persist with walking with the one spirit. And we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ as the spirit moves us to follow Christ's commands. Now, God doesn't promise that he'll do the same miraculous works that he did with the first uh, disciples there. It was, in a lot of ways, you know, a way in which he marked a very unique time in history. Uh, you're not going to be able to see some of these things again He doesn't promise to do it today, but he still works through his spirit in us. So there are a few points of application for us today then. Firstly, give thanks to God regularly 
for the res resurrection of Jesus and his gift of his spirit. Come and join us for our prayer night that's coming up in May and join us as we pray and give thanks to God. Pray first. Second thing, make sure you're clear about the message of Jesus yourself and that you can explain it clearly, uh, that message to others. If someone comes up to you and says, can you please explain to me what the hoo-ha is about, about Jesus, what Christianity is all about, what would you say? Would you be clear? Would you be simple enough that people can understand? I remember when I was going through university, I, I memorized a gospel tract. It was like the brilliant thing, the most brilliant thing I could have done and memorized for my, the rest of my life, because I still use it. Every time someone comes up to me and, and works out, asks me a question about Christianity, I've got this tract in my mind, and I can, I can use it in order to be able to explain it to people. Do you have a way in which you can explain Jesus to people? Are you clear? If you aren't, we'd love to get you clear. Let us know. Use the, 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 uh, the slip in your leaflets or the QR code there. Let us know because we want to make sure that you are clear as you, well, clear in your own head, but also clear as you explain to others. Second thing. Third thing, pray for opportunities to share about Jesus because God is the one who opens doors for his message. It's a dangerous prayer, I've got to tell you, because you pray this prayer and he will open doors and he does show you opportunities. But be courageous and pray and see those open doors. We've got this amazing phenomenon here in Trinity Church in the city. Just by the nature of our location here, people come and walk through those doors. Well, maybe not that door at the moment. People walk through those doors all the time. And they come around and they say, well, I've never been in church before. Uh, I'm very new to Christianity. Would you please explain Jesus to me? I kid you not, this happens every week. If that is you, brilliant that you're here. You join, you are amongst many who come along in the year uh, where we get to meet and we get to explain Jesus. I hope you see that uh, we get a little excited to be able to share the news of Jesus with you. But we have this wonderful phenomenon. And we are always looking for people to be able to read the Bible with others, to explain Jesus to people. Uh, and we have a shortage at the moment. Go figure. I guess we sent off a, uh, a church plant. We are a little bit short at the moment. Can you imagine... We do not want to ever say no to a person who comes and asks us to explain Jesus to them. Friends, if you are here and you are able to give your time and your availability to spend time with people who are seeking, please come and let us know. We need you. Fourthly, take action. There is no witness who do not bear witness. Take action. Fifthly, praise God for people whom God draws to Jesus and pray that he would call them to follow him. I reckon this has got to be the best way in which we can prepare to get off this site. I mean, you know about the plans, about the renovations at the back that's going to happen, you know, they say next year. I can't think of anything else that we could do more to prepare for this move off-site than getting clear with the message of Jesus. To be praying about it. 
to be making sure it's clear in our minds, to be making sure that we're praying for opportunities, taking those opportunities, giving thanks to God for what he does in us. I can't think of any greater thing that we can do to prepare for our going off our sight than this. So will you go? Will you go? Or are we still looking up into the sky? How about I lead us in prayer? Father, we give you great praise for the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. We thank you that we follow the living Lord. And Father, your eyes we can see are fixed on the world and the nations who do not know you yet. So Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts. That Father, through your spirit, that you would move us to beat as one with you, that we might have the same love for the lost as you. And Father, that you might move us to go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.